0: Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning, Vox. I promise this is not for just cheap thrills. This is, I had to bring him out here because my wife is enjoying the service and we haven't, he won't be watched in childcare, so. He's here with me. Well, good morning, we're glad that you're here. Uh, If you're new to Vox, uh, Vox is, uh, is a unique place. It's a unique community. Um, really for us, the Eucharist is the center and focal point of everything that we do. It's why we gather. Uh, we'll spend the most of our time there together um, at the end of service, uh, worshiping and contemplating and sitting in that time. Uh, you'll notice that in our worship, it's invitation and not coercion. And that goes for everything at Vox. You're invited that we don't want to manipulate or coerce anything. We don't think that you can conjure God in any way. And so this is your chance to respond how you want. Uh, if your tradition is to stand and raise your hand, do it. If you want to sit, you can do that as well. And then lastly, our teaching. You'll notice that we have a quite a large teaching uh, staff, and we have different uh, backgrounds and theological differences, and we think that makes us better. Uh, and so you'll notice that we have different teachers who teach different times. So this morning, we have a different teacher, Bonnie, who I'll call in a second. Uh, but I want to go over a couple announcements, a couple quick in-house things for you guys. Uh, first thing is we have a uh, Women in Leadership Part 2. Uh, that is today after service. So um, this was a huge hit the first time we did it. We decided we need to do another two as are all the other ones we've been doing um, and re-evaluating and saying okay these are longer conversations so uh, that'll be after service um, there'll be some snacks and some drinks provided we'd love for you to come it's not just for females it's for also for males as well uh, to come and just uh, have a part of the conversation and see what the dialogue looks like to invite women into leadership not just in uh, the church sector but also just at, at large so uh, that should be good the next one um, Life Around for on the table uh, face, uh, Facebook community if you haven't got on there It's just a chance to connect with other people in the community who are doing things around. If you want to jump in those conversations, you can. And then we also have a financial conversation coming up. Let's see. That's the slide for that. Uh, That is next week. Um, We're going to talk about the state of the church, where we're at financially. That's an all-church invitation. You can come. If you have questions, if you just kind of want to hear about where we're at as a church, what's going on, we'd love for you to come. We invite you to come. Be a part of it. uh, Be a part of the conversation. So those are our announcements. I want to invite Bonnie out here for just a second. Come on out here, Bonnie. She's making her way out with the music stand. Oh, hey, you're nice. even getting applause for Maverick. So, So uh, Bonnie, just wanted to. With our, we've had different teachers come, and just wanted to kind of do some softball toss questions, and then we're going to ask you a deep, serious question before you teach. Wow. what? Yeah. So, uh, first softball question. I was not
1: prepared for this. <laughs> yes. You really surprised me. Okay, go ahead. I'm ready. All
0: right, where are you currently living? Austin, Texas. Okay. So what's the best part about Austin, Texas?
1: Um, oh my gosh. The food is good. The land, like the space. Mm-hmm. You don't, my husband uh, doesn't love that you don't have mountains, but I love it because it feels like it goes on forever. Yeah. Gotcha. And the pace, the pace of life.
0: You mean you're not doing something 24 hours a day. So right. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is California. We do everything all the time. All the time. Uh, what's your favorite movie? <laughs> Top three.
1: I mean, like I feel like this isn't fair because what comes to mind is Moana, but I think that's <laughs> skewed because and of we my had Wes last week.
0: So for those of you who don't know, I West do like is Moana. Poly- Polynesian. But yeah. Okay, Moana's good.
1: Okay. Um can we go books? Can we do sure, books? Sure. Let's do
0: that. Okay. I, we get it. You're smarter than us. You don't watch movies. Okay, go ahead. At least
1: yeah. I fall yeah, asleep, yeah, 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 yeah. We get it. Movie. We get it. Um To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. Is my favorite and my daughter's named after uh, Scout. In the book, yep. And then... um... I also, I really enjoy, like, a good, junky beach read. Awesome. So, any of those. Awesome. Like, with the muscle guy on the front? No, no, no. Oh.
0: Oh, that's not it? Sorry, <laughs> not I
1: don't know. Not that much. Okay. Like, something in the middle there. Okay, all right, gotcha. Okay.
0: So, update us real quick. Uh, Bonnie's been writing a book called yeah. Tim Shell. Would you yep. update us and tell us where you're at with that?
1: Yeah, so, uh, we launched a Kickstarter to write a new Bible translation, and it got fully funded. So, thank you to all of you who did that. So I know, yes. <laughs> Mav supported it too. Yeah, so. um, and we're just in the middle of writing. It's like a crazy writing schedule, but we'll be Yay. done September 1st and then off to the printers. So
0: Awesome. Yeah. All right. So could you tell us quickly, like in a couple minutes, just sort of what your faith journey has been to this point?
1: Yeah. So um, I grew up in the church, but I was basically anxious and afraid of not making it to heaven. Like that was my barometer for all things I did, Um, and then when I went to college and then seminary, um, my faith really changed for me, just in terms of meeting a God who was with us and had a lot more depth than that, Um, and then becoming a mom added a new element, and then when, um, let's see, five years ago, we had a, I delivered a baby as a stillborn, and that was a turning point for me, um, just in terms of going, who is this God? why would this happen to me? Uh, Was he here, is he here? And sort of just answering all those questions, which led to a big deconstruction, which led to um, a beautiful reconstruction. So here we are. Yeah.
0: All right, thanks, Bonnie. Well, here's Bonnie, enjoy.
1: Hello, friends. I'm so glad to be here. Um, If you do not, um, aren't familiar with my teaching format, it's kind of um, open-ended. I love to hear from you guys. Sometimes I'll ask you questions. And like some people ask questions and they don't want you to answer, I do. So please raise your hand um, and answer or yell out or if at any time something is said and you don't understand it or you have a question or if you wanna make a comment, go for it. Um, I think this that scripture is something that we should wrestle with and talk about in community, not t- to just talk at you about. So um, we're just going to hit a real um, non-controversial, easy topic about patriarchy today. So um, that feels right for 9 a.m. or 10 a.m., whatever it is. Um, so let me just... Um, set this up a little bit. So patriarchy and the Bible. We have two ways that we can view this, okay? Either the Bible is written to promote patriarchy, or patriarchy is a cultural backdrop to when the Bible was written. So those are really the main two lenses that we can read um, some of these stories or all of these stories through. So if the Bible is written to promote patriarchy, which um, the definition of patriarchy literally means father rule. And it means that um, the society during biblical times, and sometimes today still, men are favored over women. And um, a woman's job was to uh, be the property of a man and to also continue the bloodline. Um, and that was about it though. No, not necessarily any rights, no equality. Um, and so men really had, um, a privilege, but status and just things available to them that women, that women did not. And so if we believe that the Bible is written in favor of that, then we will not only read the the Bible that way, but also we will maintain or strive for a lifestyle that continually promotes that if we believe that the Bible was written with a cultural backdrop of patriarchy and that Jesus had a different intention in mind for his kingdom, then we need to read our scripture with that in mind, but we also need to live a life and have actions that seek to dismantle that. And so my belief, if you haven't already guessed it, is that um, the Bible was written during a certain cultural time, and um, a certain time in history, and patriarchy was the norm. And I also believe that even though patriarchy was the norm, that Jesus came to dismantle that, along with anything else that expressed inequality. Jesus was always about equal playing field. No matter who you are, no matter what gender, no matter any difference you may have, Jesus came to redefine it. And we know that because we look at two parts of the Bible in which they are very different than the rest of it. So Genesis and Revelation. In Genesis, before the fall, chapters one and two, we see a picture of like a mini society, if you will, of how God designed creation to work. And in that Garden of Eden, There was a beautiful harmony, there was equality. um, With Adam and Eve, God made things and it was good. And then in Revelation we see when when it said that God's gonna come back and restore all things, we see a picture that is just like that as well. So everything in between those two things, any structural system that we have set up in between is a fallen state. And so Jesus comes back, or Jesus comes, and he comes in order to show us that fallen state so that we can then be people that bring his kingdom in his purposes. And so we know that history also tells us that patriarchy was the norm during the time that the Bible was written. Now we see that all over the Bible, um, and we'll get to that a little bit as we go through this, but I just wanna make one quick note. Um, I'm aware that um, the topic of patriarchy or even feminism can sometimes ruffle the feathers a bit. And I do know a lot of women, too, that say, like, I'm against feminism and I'm not for that and that's not what I'm about. Um, But if we can just think that there are a lot of people that have come before us, men and women, who have made it possible for women to vote, for made it possible for women to hold a credit card, to buy property, for me to stand here, for you to hold a job. There are many things that sometimes I think that we don't define necessarily as feminism, that we just think, oh, that's just a right that we got. But that's because people long before us have been having this same conversation about how men and women are equal. But with that, I want to say that we cannot have a discussion about being pro-women without acknowledging that that discussion inherently is also being pro-men, being pro-male, okay? So I don't want us to ever approach a conversation where we're trying to elevate one group and in doing so, we put down another because that's just not the way the kingdom of God works, okay? Are we good? All right. All right. Oh, do you have a question? Oh, you were stretching. That, well, I got like so excited. Okay, uh, I was like, yes, we're in it. He's never gonna stretch again. Okay, let's open um, to Luke 10, 38 through 42. I think it's, oh, the screens have moved. Gosh, you know, I came here, the screens have moved, Andy cut his hair. I mean, it's like, everything's different. Okay, so uh, raise your hand if you have ever heard this story about Mary and Martha. Yes, it is a popular story. Um, Does someone want to share maybe their experience in like one or two words, when you've heard it, what is the message that you have taken from it? Male and female. Be a Mary, not a Martha. Okay, be a Mary, not a Martha. And what, what do you mean by that? Right, but it's just like this ambiguous, like do this, not that, yeah. I know, I'll be honest, sometimes I get the names turned out. They shouldn't have been, like, two M names. (laughs) Like Jackie and Tammy would have been better. (laughs) Um, Anyone else? Don't be so busy. Don't be so busy. Yeah, right? Don't be so busy. In fact, I have this, like, I'm using this life application Bible, and next to it they, like, call out these, um, like anecdotes, if you will, and this one is about that, and it's called "Too Busy." <laughs> Don't be too busy. What else? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So Mary wants to learn, and Martha thinks she's doing the wrong thing because she, her place, should be, busying herself, um, doing household duties yeah anyone else okay so um that's exactly that was always been my experience and um as a woman that there was always a very confusing passage um i'm not exactly what you would call like a good household person so I'm, i'm not great at cleaning i'm terrible at laundry the cooking is subpar and um so it was tough for me to read something like this because I, d- I couldn't understand why Mary was upset or why uh, Martha was upset at Mary and I couldn't understand if Jesus was saying don't be busy like there was all these nuances about it that to me no matter what you get out of it any of these things I think are good I think Jesus doesn't want us to be super busy you know these are all good things but it is a very one inch shallow deep interpretation of the passage and so if we really want to find out what it is because if we believe in this radical king that has come to save and heal and dismantle then I just can't buy into that he came just to tell us not to be busy and like this one says in this anecdote it says what can you set aside right now in order to still your mind and hands long enough to listen for God's voice and then it goes on to say how did this devotional help you to realize that you could be both a thinker and a doer and I think that that's a worthy thought to th- think on. But I just can't picture that the king of the world came to remind us that we can use our brains. That To me, that just seems like we're missing a little bit of the story. So um, let's, let's look at this with the idea that maybe it's written with the backdrop of patriarchy and so how that makes a big difference in how we understand it. Because the truth is, is if we... If we read it that it promotes patriarchy, if we read it that that's the only, um, and we forget the patriarchy like as a cultural backdrop, then we ourselves are promoting this idea that women can use their brains or um, a very shallow understanding of the scripture, even if we don't, even if we don't mean to. So let's look at this verse thirty-eight. And Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Okay, right out of the gate, um, we see something that's really different. So Mary and Martha were actually um, sisters to Lazarus. Lazarus, if you guys remember who Lazarus is in the Bible. And so the, the truth is, is women in this society weren't in charge of anything. They didn't have their own homes. Nobody would have said this was Martha's home. They all would have said this is Lazarus's home and Martha did the work for it. So the fact that the writers are even from the get-go calling out something, saying, no, this was her home too, already would have been so subversive because she actually isn't allowed to own property. She actually isn't even allowed to say, this is my house, because women didn't own property because they were thought of as property. We see that in the 10 commandments, when it says, do not covet, and it has this list of things, like your neighbor's house, your neighbor's cattle, and then it's like your neighbor's wife the women are listed in the same category as these other possessions because that's how women were viewed. So already right out of the gate, it's totally subversive that the writers here refer to the house as Martha's house instead of Lazarus. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So the way houses were set up during the time, and actually the way places of worship were also set up, is that in a home there was men's quarters and there was women's quarters. And so when a guest came in your home, if she was a woman, they would go to the women's quarters, and if it was a man, he would go to the male quarters. The women would sometimes enter into the male quarters to bring food, to care for the guests, but not to sit. There wasn't like a cohabitation here. We didn't come and all sit on the couch together. So. The fact that she comes, he, Jesus comes in the house and she follows him, what she's doing is she is going around the cultural standard of going to the women's quarters and she is inserting herself into the male quarters, which is completely scandalous, not allowed. Even during worship, there was, um, in temple worship, the men sat down in the front and the women sat up in the balcony. And we actually see Paul kind of address this. Some of his rules for women are actually because there's that would cause chaos if a woman from the back would scream out. So this is written all over, but we really miss it if we don't read it with the right lens. Now the uh, language here... Um, she had a sister who sat at the Lord's feet. We see that elsewhere in the New Testament actually referring to Paul, and it's not what we picture, which is a woman sitting, looking adoringly at Jesus. She is actually sitting there, that language, to sit at someone's feet was to be a student, was to insert yourself as a student, as a disciple, to a rabbi for one sole purpose, and that purpose was to learn, so that you could become a rabbi yourself. So she's coming in; she goes straight into the male quarters when Jesus enters the room, and she says, with her body language, "I want to learn from you, and I want to teach." In Scripture, we hear that word that uh, that verse that says um "My yoke is easy and my burden is light a yoke is what somebody would refer would refer to a rabbi's teaching so just as today we have many pastors with different theological bents or different ideas same was true for rabbis and so a rabbi's yoke was his unique interpretation of of the scriptures and so to insert yourself at his feet was to say i want to be a student i want to pick up your yoke and i want to then be a rabbi and help spread this particular interpretation and this yoke does that make sense So she is coming in, not only is she totally subverting culture by going into the male quarters, she is actually asking Jesus, can I learn from you, and can I be a rabbi in a society that women can't do anything? Verse 40, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to him... And asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So Martha, um, imagine Martha, right? She she comes in. She kind of ushers Jesus to where he needs to go. She goes back to the women's quarters. She's making all the prep. She turns to Mary, and she's like, can you get those biscuits? And Mary's not there. So she goes to find her. And to much to her surprise, she is in a section of the house she is not supposed to be in, that it's not allowed, and she's also doing something that women don't do. So if you're Mary, what do you feel like? I'm asking you. (laughs) Torn, that's a really good word for it, right? You feel torn, because you're supposed to be here, but you see someone here acting out of permission and freedom. What else? excited yeah I like that hopeful maybe yeah right oh sorry she said rebellious what else oh I'm sorry I'm asking about Martha when she comes in and finds Mary oh yeah yeah but she I, I still think yeah but you're talking about Mary see Should have been Jackie and Tammy. Um, So we'll we'll hit Martha first. When she finds her sister doing this, maybe she feels a little embarrassed. Jealous. Jealous, angry. Because the truth is, is when we see freedom being acted out, I think freedom does such a good job of holding up mirrors to our own lives. It makes us take a look at Wow, I didn't maybe I didn't know that person needed to be set free. Or sometimes maybe in this case, how come she gets to do that and I'm left doing this? Now, the the uh actual translation here in the Greek, um, the word she uses like for help here is a kind of a three-part word and what this sentence when she says lord don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself um tell her to help me is um it's better translated is tell her tell her to do her part as i am doing mine So there's a sense of ownership over it, of saying, this is my role and I'm doing it, but she's not doing it. Tell her that she needs to do her role too. She needs to do her part. If I'm doing it, why is it fair that she's not? Now the only other place that this word for help is used in the New Testament, it's used only one other time. And um, I just wanna make a comment about Greek language before I show you where it's used and why it's used that way is that in both Greek and Hebrew, words are chosen very carefully very carefully. And the sentence structure is also chosen very carefully. And so how we learn about the text largely has to do with the language. So sometimes, and I'm so guilty of this, in um, our English language, we use, like, for example, the word love for a lot of things. Like, I love my husband and I love burritos. But for, in Greek language, you only use it for very specific things. And so the word help that's used here is used one other place, and that's in Romans 8, 26. If you can pull that one up. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That is like the funniest phrase, through wordless groans. Um, If you want to keep that up. So In this context, the word help here is discussing how when we are praying and when we are deciding what to do, when we are deciphering what our next move is to bring the kingdom, to usher it in, is that the Spirit comes alongside of us and helps us. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know what to do. But the Spirit helps us by helping telling us informing us interceding for us now this echoes a very similar sentiment that we found in that we find in the old testament and that is this word called it's like phonetically pronounced azer let me hear you say azer and that word means helper we find it 21 times in the old testament two of them are in the book of genesis Three of them are referring to when Israel calls on military aid, and 16 of them refer to God being a help to his people. And that's this same idea. Now we also know from scripture that when we pray, and when the spirit intercedes, and we see it here in the use of military language, is that there is some sort of battle going on. Because we live in this fallen state and then we have a God who is here to bring restoration. We have Jesus that came that dismantled a ton of different systems that brought inequality. But anytime you do that, anytime you pray, anytime you do anything that goes against the norm and brings equality and brings love and brings the gospel, you are going to be met with some sort of resistance. And so this language that we see here, this language that we see in the Old Testament of this word help is that sometimes we meet with some sort of resistance and the spirit comes in and he helps us. The truth is, is that anytime time that we pray any time that we are up against a situation where we are trying to usher in equality, we're trying to usher in the kingdom of heaven, we will be met with resistance and we should be. I would like us to challenge ourselves, and I am so included in this. If we are doing something and everybody's fine with it, we might not be ruffling the feathers enough because Jesus wasn't fine with it. Every single thing that we do is in a fallen state right now. Patriarchy is not all bad, but it is fallen. And it has fallen because somebody is above somebody else. And so unless we are doing the work of Jesus, unless we're doing what's happening here, and people aren't getting upset, then we might not be ushering in equality like we're supposed to be. I'm gonna tell you a story about someone that we all know and love named Mike Erie. Um, When I was just like a young chick of I don't mean chick like a girl. I mean like a baby chicken. <laughs> Bad timing for that joke. Um, when I, I was 18 and I was at a uh, church here in Orange County, and they had a... Um, Preaching class, and you could—I think I was the only woman in the preaching class—and you could uh, learn how to. Mike did this like four-week or something, eight-week course, and you learned how to preach, and then you could you write your own sermon and submit your sermon, and then they would like give you feedback. And so um, I did that, and he—I got a call, and they said, "Can we? um, Can you come into the office?" Um, we wanna talk about your sermon. And immediately I was like, oh my gosh, crap. Like I'm a heretic and they're gonna yell at me or something, I don't know. And um, so I went in there and they were like, we are just so, we were so impressed and um, we want you to be on this, this teaching team. And so I was. And Mike and I formed a friendship and really more of a mentorship. And from then on out, what I saw Mike do continually is use his power and his privilege for the good of others, and specifically me, to help kind of bring a new understanding of women being allowed to preach. Now, in all the church settings that I worked with Mike, they were all in churches that didn't think women could preach. But did that ever stop him? No. Because he believed more in bringing about the purposes of the kingdom and that that's gonna be met with resistance, and that that's gonna ruffle some feathers, and that's gonna upset people, but he didn't care because it was for the sake of the kingdom and sake for equality. For people to say, in Jesus, all are welcome, including women. And this is beyond just women, right? If we can get this right, hopefully we can try to get other things right. People of color. There are so many categories. Each and every one of us holds some sort of privilege over someone else because we live in a fallen world where there are these structures. And if we are not doing things in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood to dismantle these categories and we are not being met with resistance, then we might not be doing enough. So verse 41 Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So in essence, Jesus tells her to calm down. Um, She's upset because she sees her sister breaking these norms, but like we said before, she's maybe also upset because freedom holds a mirror to our own beliefs. Sometimes we walk in ways that are just inherited. We sort of walk out of narrative. And part of the reason why gender roles are such a strong narrative is because it gives us sort of this path that we can follow that really kind of people leave us alone. And so when we see other people stepping out of that, that confuses us. And sometimes as women, I think it can cause a little bit of, um, well, that's not fair. How come she can do that and I can't? but we don't have to play that game. They made a movie called Mean Girls for a reason, but as Jesus followers, we don't have to play that game. We get to say to women, you can do what you want, you can do what you want, you can do what you want, and we're all gonna do it together. So here's the thing. If we have any hope of changing the narrative at all about who's in and who's out, About equality, about um, saying women you can teach, men you can also teach. I think what I want to say here is that it starts with the men. Empowered people are called to empower people. You are given strength, you are given courage, you are given bravery, you are given a place that your voice is heard for a very reason. And Jesus calls you, just as he much calls me and anyone else in this room, that any time we notice we are in a place of privilege where one person is elevated above someone else, we are to use our power for good. We are to use our power to elevate somebody else so that it is equal. And I understand that that's uncomfortable. I understand we don't necessarily always know how to do it, but it is needed and it is what we are called to do. Jesus, the king of the universe, came into this home and said, you are sitting at my feet to become a rabbi in a culture where you own nothing. You can be nothing. Your sole job is to continue the bloodline, but I am saying right now, it is good that you did this. The rendering here is not, or the Greek uh, translation here is not necessarily she chose what is better, she chose what was best. And it wasn't that she was a teacher. Not all of you wanna be pastors. That's fine. But he's saying she knows she's equal. And if you are putting yourselves and you are putting other people in a position that they feel equal, that they feel loved and accepted, that's what it's about. Jesus never, ever was against people. He was against systems. He was against these systems that raise people up and put other people down. So imagine if we were people that believed in that, that believed that, hey, I see a system here of inequality and I'm gonna stand up against that. I think that the world needs a message like that. I think that the world needs to meet somebody and have a safe place. We see inequality happening all over. That is why the mass shooting happened. Somebody said, I'm better than those people, and I can do whatever I want. That's not the game we play, that's not the message of Jesus, and that's not what we're called to do. We can't do whatever we want because it's not about us. It's about all of us linking arms, men and women, doing it together to dismantle a structure that brings inequality. Instead, we're called to usher in the kingdom and say, this is what Jesus stood for. We will see glimpse of it again and again and again until he comes back and finally restores the whole thing for good. But in the meantime, it's up to us. It's up to us to show up. It's up to us to say, I see that here and that's not who Jesus is. Amen? Amen. So here's the thing. We believe at Vox that the table, that the Eucharist is the center of it all. Because it's the one place that we are reminded of how broken this world is and how it takes us showing up in our own broken states, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to ask questions, being willing to wrestle to make it better. And so today, the band's gonna come back up and we have communion available. There is gluten-free over in this corner, if that is you. Um, And like Andy said, it is not a coercion. If you don't feel like you want to take it or you're not ready, then don't. But if you do, all are welcome here, every single one of you. And it is such a place of healing. It can be a place where we are able to come and say, Jesus, you see me? You see the inequalities that I'm, that I'm afflicted by. You see where I have believed a narrative about myself that wasn't true. But it's also a place to maybe say, Jesus, show me where I have privilege that can be used for your good so that others may see you through me. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. We love you guys so much. And I hope you have a wonderful week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. Amen. Have a great week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.